What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to another episode of A Yank and a Swede, a Premier League podcast. My name is Sebastian Noren. I'm your Swede. With me, Elliot Niblock, your Yank. And we're going to touch upon the illustrious tournament that is the Carabao Cup today. And we will also inter, you know, do a little back and forth between that and the upcoming Premier League action this weekend. That is something that I look forward to a lot more than what happened in the Carabao Cup, as we will <laughs> <laughs> soon find out why. As um, Manchester United were eliminated by Derby County, led by Frank Lampard. Frank Lampard's Derby County. Yep, so it was uh, 2-2 after full time, and then it went all the way to a penalty shootout. Derby came out victorious, and it's another... Yeah, I don't even know what to call it. Another low point in uh, this season for Manchester United. We should say that Sergio Romero was sent off in the 67th minute. Um, so Lee Grant had to finish up the game in goal there. Uh, Darby took the lead, 2-1 to one lead in the 85th minute. But good old Maron Fellini tied things up in, uh, deep in the stoppage time. But to no avail. Derby winners on penalties. So th- this is this is like such a perfect case in point for a question that I want to pose to you about Mourinho, right? I mean, obviously he he, he looked almost as though he was in tears. Yeah. Um. But Marijuana Fellaini, we joke about it. We we joke about the. The Fellaini substitution, and here he is coming off the bench and scoring the equalizer. And so, like, that is one of the, if you want to be a structuralist about the progression of United's team under Mourinho, like, that is maybe the greatest constant, is Fellaini comes off the bench when you're down, and sometimes he does it, and he did it, and they ultimately crashed out of the cup. But if they hadn't lost on penalties then you might be able to argue that this would be a a, a game that supports Mourinho's philosophy, that supports his idea of Fellaini coming off the bench as a game changer. What would you say to that, given the, you know, indeterminacy of penalties deciding matches in general? Well, the thing is, and we've spoken about this before, but that whole Fellaini plan always comes out of panic, basically. It's like oh, but crap. can you? But if it's but if it's such a systematic plan, can it really be panic, or can it be a last line of defense that's methodical? No, it's panic because it's put in <laughs> Fellini and hoof the ball up. Well, but it's not it's not panic if it's I see. I still disagree, I, and maybe the disagreement is merely terms, but maybe it's it's not panic I, if you do it every time like it's a it's a set plan it's a last ditch attempt yeah. but it's a last ditch attempt that sometimes works and we saw that work here uh so even a clock is right two times a day yeah touche yes uh, i mean i think but the thing is that with this team that they fielded it shouldn't have gone to penalties no absolutely not this is absolutely not this is embarrassing And here's – so I think the elephants in the room or the twinned elephants, the different parts of the elephant, doesn't matter the metaphor. 
Mourinho Pogba. We've got to talk about Mourinho Pogba. Yeah, they seem to have a little um, falling out again. And uh, there were some photos or video circulating from the training ground where Pogba was like high-fiving people and sort of snubbed Mourinho. Mourinho said something to him. Pogba looked, you know, less than pleased with whatever was said. And well, but it's not. But it's not just that. No, no, it's no. It's, it's yeah. Well. It's all. It's everything. But I, you know, and you get the oh no, player is bigger than the club and stuff like that. And yeah, to a certain degree, I can agree with that. But at the same time, people have to realize that you should never pick Mourinho over Pogba. Pogba is one of the best central midfielders in the world. Jose Mourinho is not one of the best managers in the world anymore. No, I, I, the thing is that I don't, I don't argue, I don't argue that. I don't think many people would argue that. And I think, well, there's a lot of people, well, not arguing that fact, but the, the whole thing that, oh, no, you know, no player is bigger than the team, sell him or whatever. Uh, it's time for him to go. That's ridiculous. Yeah, but that's sort of an old mentality too, because you saw Fergie do that with Beckham. Really, man, yeah. I was so sad when that happened. See, now you, I'm getting even more depressed here as we <laughs> old wounds, David. Oh, I miss you. I uh, just gotta move down to Miami, man. <gasps> yeah, I wish yeah, he. Well. I wish he could do a comeback for like one game. No, but my the the question that I want to pose to you here, and I'm kind of grilling you on you know stuff in this sense, but you're the expert between us, and it's not that is it like would you prioritize Pogba over Mourinho? We're in agreement. I think most, maybe not all, but probably most United supporters would agree you prioritize Pogba. But what I mean, what do you think is going to happen behind the scenes? But it is. Is it actually plausible that this is what forces the hand of Mourinho's firing? Do you think that they're going to need to hit a farther skid before that happens? I mean, is this is this the straw or just a straw on the camel's back? I think it's a straw, really. And if you look at it from a financial standpoint, too, if you sell Pogba, you make some money or you recoup some money. I don't know how much he would cost in today's market. Uh, oh, he would. He, uh, I bet they would at least break even money, right. or come. I mean, even the thing is that clubs would know that they would be desperate to sell, so yeah. they might lose ten or fifteen. But I can't, I can't imagine him commanding a transfer fee of less than eighty million pounds at the very least. Yeah, and I mean, really, is that a move you do in January? I'm not so sure. No, but firing Mourinho is going to cost him a lot of money, and yeah, that's going to suck. <laughs> But at the same time, I feel like that's the better option than to have this festering wound here between your best player and the manager drag out for the whole season. Uh, but here's another question, though. Is he their best player? Yes. Mm, is he their most talented player? Yes. Is he their best player? Not convinced. I mean, who would you make a case for? I I, th I think that you can make an argument for Romelu Lukaku. Nope. Nope. Oh, come nope. on. Nope. Not. No. He's not been 
I don't feel like he's been worth the money so far. Really? Yeah. I think he's showing time and time again that he has a hard time against the bigger clubs. And apparently even against Darby. Yeah, but so does Pogba. Not not Darby per se, right? Obviously, because he was like not in the starting yeah. eleven for this match for, you know, resting or ideological reasons that you can argue that. I mean, I think that it's well, it's it's also difficult to say because the team is struggling so much under Mourinho, right? Yeah. That like it's it's almost a red herring to say who's their best player. I st- I still think. It's, it, it, yeah, no, I, I, I'm actually, I'm going to backtrack here and, and I'm going to say that it's almost impossible to say based on form because form is filtered through the lens of the Mourinho United. Yeah, no, that's so, true. And I think that Lukaku might actually be better suited playing off another striker to have one of those speedy guys like Martial or Rashford play next to him. God, it's too bad that you guys don't have any players like Martial or Rashford in your squad. I know. I know. <laughs> it's great that they're being put out wide when they're actually strikers too. It's awesome, 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 awesome. Yeah, hey, so, we've got a similar problem, but it's yeah. been working a little better of late. So next up for United is the early kickoff on Saturday, seven thirty a.m. Yeah, seven thirty a.m. I'm so tired right now. Seven thirty a.m. on Saturday <laughs> Eastern Time, they take on West Ham. On the road, West Ham came out and just slaughtered Macclesfield Town 8 nothing in their Carabao Cup uh, win. And the scoreline is as follows. Antonio, Snodgrass, Paris, Fredericks, Ogbonna, Snodgrass, Diangana, Diangana. Lucas Perez getting his first goal in London for two years. <laughs> but good for him. No, great. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy for Lucas Perez. I actually, I think that He's there. There are a bevy of strikers signed under Wenger who were his kind of like the apple of his eye and the hope of finding a diamond in the rough. And I actually had some sympathy because these are like real people whose careers have been stagnated by being like, "Ooh, you're actually not that good." But yeah, like Lord Bentner. Lord Bentner. Oh, God. Punch the cabbie in the face. Although I'm inclined to believe his girlfriend's account that the cab driver was actually the asshole in this. Um, Maybe. Who knows? Who knows? But yeah, I mean, West, West Ham flying high. We're not going to talk about Nicholas Bentner. That, that was already <laughs> too much Nicholas Bentner. Um, too much is sometimes just enough. Although yeah. that's uh, true more of whiskey than Nicholas Bentner. True, true, true. Anyway, back to West Ham. I think this bespeaks the quality they have in the squad, especially with like a you know not their most illustrious starting eleven, but yeah, yeah, the names that are in the squad that are well known to a lot of you know consistent Premier League followers like Robert Snodgrass and Lucas Perez. Can they kick on from this? What do you think? Yeah, no, I mean they're building something here, Pellegrini. You know, decided to switch up his formations and all that stuff, and it worked out these past couple of games. So, once again, I'm going into the weekend feeling totally, you know, defeated, really. And, like, yeah, they could 
easily get a draw or a win here, West Ham. Just because how poor Manchester United are. Yeah, I mean, I think that my money will be on a draw. I'll say that. I wouldn't, however, be surprised if it broke either way. Um, You know, one of the tropes that Mourinho hit on when he got fired from Chelsea was the players have betrayed me. But I think that prior to what Mourinho, narcissist that he is, would describe as a betrayal, meaning basically you've lost the locker room and your leadership is null and void. Prior to that, there can be a resurgence of a team spirit, and I wouldn't be surprised to see that against West Ham. Uh, and, and in fact, I, you know, even like even saying already that even money on the betting seems like a a draw is plausible. United may come out and win this game handily, despite the eight nil like drubbing of Macclesfield time. I mean, maybe that it's so. That's the thing with this Manchester United team. I have no idea. Like previously, you could be fairly confident. Like, yeah, okay, we're playing. You know, so and so at home. Yeah, we'll probably win if they get if the other team gets lucky. It's a draw. Well, and those of course, day, um, those days know, those days are gone. Yeah, I mean, I, and wait, let's let's also flip the script here, right? If a week ago you said, okay, West Ham plays Macclesfield Town, Manchester United plays Derby County, one of these teams crashes out of the League Cup on penalties after a two-two draw. The other team runs out 8-0 winners at home. Which scoreline is which? 90% of respondents will say, oh, of course, United score eight goals. Probably. I mean, again, maybe maybe not in the late Mourinho era. <laughs> no, but I mean, it's, it's just embarrassing. Two home games in a row. First, you get played off the pitch by Wolves. For a large, large part of that game, I and mean, yeah, we've talked about Wolves not being your usual newcomer and all that stuff. And then you go and lose against Derby when you actually field a strong team. That's just embarrassing. And I really hope they can pick things up here against West Ham, but I have no fate in this manager. And that lack of fate comes from his inability to get the best out of this squad. I think a lot of managers would do a lot better with the exactly the same squad. Yeah, no, I, I think that most, so his, his most excuses of tend to be world-class would do that. His excuses of like, oh, I didn't get the players I wanted in the transfer window, blah, 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 blah. Well, but yeah, this is the thing, is that he's always... and And this is... I'll, let me preface this with, I'm a gooner. I'll be a Wenger fanboy till I die, even though I, um, you know, on air, advocated for him leaving Arsenal previously. I will still be a Wenger fanboy because I'm Arsenal till I die. But I, I nonetheless think that this difference is illustrative in that Arsene Wenger had faith in his system and in his philosophy 
and the game moved past him. And, you know, he was the greatest manager in Premier League history for a while. Yeah. And some could argue that he still is. I, I, I think that Fergie probably still holds that title. But Wenger as the revolutionary, his ideas were were exactly that, revolutionary. And he stood by them. And when he was pressed and put under pressure, what he harped on were the ideals. And not speaking about himself, not speaking about his players. And where it, when it comes to Mourinho, what Mourinho does is that he's very quick to say, I don't have enough money, and that's an excuse, not, as it was for Wenger, an explanatory mechanism because of building a new stadium, which he helped to oversee. It was, I don't have enough money, that's an excuse from the board, it's the player's fault, they're betraying me. Yeah. And... I, that, to me, is a deficiency not merely in managerial style, but I would even go so far as to say a deficiency in character. No, that's true. And I mean, it's, you know, if we go back in time, that whole Wenger-Fergie rivalry, that egged both of them on to push and be better. Yeah, They, they rose up to that challenge. And yeah, Wenger overstayed a couple of years, probably, if you look at it. And I probably would have said the same with Fergie if he would have stayed on and they started dropping down the table and all that stuff. It would be like, yeah, he, no, he's an all-time great Wenger. All-time great. Um, and but it's, it, it, it's frustrating because on the trophies alone, you kind of have to say the same, same thing about Mourinho. But the way he carries himself continues to tarnish his legacy like old unpolished silverware. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, that that's the thing too. I never liked him as a hire in the first place. And I was like, well, I'm happy to be proven wrong, but here we are. Yeah. I, I was right. You were right. Let's move on. Yep. Seb was right. Yep. There we go. <laughs> Hashtag Seb was right. Yeah, let's move over to Arsenal. They got a 3-1 to win over Brentford. Danny Welbeck with a couple of goals. And Lacazette also found the back of the net. And um, Burnt Leno in goal again. Hey, hey. Yeah, I mean, he's going to be the cup keeper for sure until... Until check falls off the pace, though. Like, with the kind of performance that... I mean, he, he was man of the match, and rightfully so for our first clean sheet of the season nope. in the Premier oh, League yeah, last yeah. weekend. So I think that he's um, he's going to be the cup keeper at this point. But that's, you know, that's, on the one hand, maybe kind of shocking for a goalkeeper that costs, you know, over 20 million pounds. Yeah, but he's also sort of, you know, he's going to take over from... Jack oh, yeah. at some no. point and then you're you know you could end up having him for eight years well and that's you know that's what we talked about previously in my kind of like parsing the difference between the Torreira and the Leno positions of come on come on start Torreira versus you know my initial sentiments about that and then kind of uh, pulling back from that saying okay well let Leno deputize under check for a while. And check clearly had, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised at this point based on check's performance this past weekend with one important qualifier, but if he can 
more consistently show comfort with the ball at his feet, I wouldn't be surprised to see Czech between the sticks as late as April in the Premier League. With, again, the qualifier that that assumes that we have at least one comp- competition in which Leno is featuring. Because if we crash out of all of them by February, and then a full month goes by in which, you know, this young and yet exceedingly first-team experienced keeper has been sitting on the bench for six weeks, then it gets a little more complicated, but <laughs> let's hope it doesn't come to that. Let's hope that both Arsenal, from, again, Gunner's perspective, are playing well enough in the Cups to have other competitions and that Czech himself is playing well enough to keep Leno out of the squad. But it's really, I, I think that it can be viewed as the best of both worlds and that you want the experienced senior keeper to be proving that he still has it while also imparting knowledge to the man who will be the face of the goalkeeping at Arsenal for, yeah, hopefully eight years. I don't know. It might be, as, even if it's as many as three, I'll be happy. Yeah. No, and I think that maybe you'll see Czech Swansong here playing out the, this season and he does okay or you know above average and then moves on and then it's handing off the reins to Leno. Um, which, you know, that's fine. Really. Oh, yeah, totally. Really. Uh, I don't know where Czech would go, really. I don't know if he wants to try things somewhere where the weather is nicer. I don't know. I mean, maybe the... Miami. Huh? Huh? I don't know. Uh, I mean, the whole reason that he went to Arsenal is that he wanted to stay in London, but, you know, it's yeah. been a few years, so we'll see. Kids That's grow true. up. Speaking of Arsenal, uh, Aaron Ramsey, apparently his um, contract negotiations have uh, fallen through, and um, reports coming out that it might being part of uh, Mesut Ozil's con- contract and Ramsey feeling that he should be in the ballpark at least of what Ozil is making. Um, Ozil is pulling in 350,000 pounds a week and um, it says that Arsenal are unlikely to offer Ramsey that kind of money. It's... I am very much of two minds about this. Uh, Ramsey should get paid. Yeah, he, he should. Um, Maybe not three fifty, but three. It, it, it's the way of the world, and th- this is the thing: is that Arsenal's negotiation strategies for a long time have been predicated on previous structures that have been surpassed. And I think that's why they have failed to sign players like Luis Suarez. I think that's why they've struggled to hold on to quality players like Robin Van Persie. And they finally pushed the boat out for Mesedrizzo, because I think that they realized that they were at a crisis point. And what I'm most concerned about is, you know, Stan Kroenke has further consolidated his ownership in the club, and... And he's a cheap one. Excuse me, what? Stan Kroenke? Yes. 
Oh, like he's a miser in his methodology, you mean? He's cheap. He doesn't like to splash that cash around, even though he has a lot of it. Yeah. Yes, that uh, that's fair. Um, although, well, I don't need to draw a parallel with the Los Angeles Rams. Um, well, maybe he spends money on them. I know he doesn't spend much money on his hockey team. Oh, God. He has too many teams. Yes, he does. Uh, and he mostly cares about the bottom line. But it, to that point, however, I don't know that Arsenal are going to offer Ramsey as much as Erzl. I do know that Ramsey's agent is going to hold out for that until December 30th. And why wouldn't he? You know, why wouldn't he? So I, I like, I take this, the, you know, and uh, at first all of this was reported in the Daily Mail and the Mirror, which are horrible garbage clickbait institutions. And then it got reported by Sky Sports. And I said, okay, there are legs to this story. But I still, I, it's not, it is not the definitive word on whether or not our, like Arsenal resign Aaron Ramsey. Like if, we're, if we're talking about contract negotiations breaking down a week before Christmas, okay, then he might leave in January. But before then, I, I'm not convinced. I, like, I think that, he may end up on the same wages as Arzul or close to it, but we're you know we're inferring the dynamics of high-powered, big-money negotiations at the very best third or fourth hand, more likely fifth or sixth hand. No. So you got to give it at least a couple months before you really put much stake in these stories. No, it's true, but I mean, rumors already starting to float that Juventus and AC Milan are monitoring this situation as he would be able to sign a pre-contract on January 1st. Oh, no, but again, that's I, I, I think that is both accurate and also clickbait insofar as every major club that has any need for a quality midfielder should be monitoring the situation. And I guarantee you that they anyone worth its salt is. Like it's not merely AC AC Milan and Juventus are easy stories, right? Because Ivan Gazidis just moved from Arsenal to AC Milan. That's an easy quick clickbait story. You create the rivalry with Juventus. There's a whole nother storyline. All of this can be mere conjecture and then you build it into your tabloid narratives. And it's Super easy to do doesn't mean that they're not interested. They probably are, and they should be. But so should every club in Europe that wants to bolster its midfield. Because Aaron Ramsey, he may not be quite as naturally talented as Urzel, but he has a ceiling at least roughly comparable. And he's a younger man. He is definitely a target for all the big clubs in Europe. Yeah, it's, I just. I, I don't I don't I don't discount the journalism that's gone into some of this reporting as far as it goes from Sky and The Guardian. 
still have no respect for the Daily Mail. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. But like, let's let's wait six weeks and then see where we're at. No, interesting. I mean, those are two clubs that would be able to pay those kinds of wages, though. Yeah, no, that, I mean, that's true. And again, like, the, the, the clickbait journalists are not idiots. Like, they, they're they not about to say that, you know... Young uh, boys. Yeah. <laughs> Young boys. Ajax are in for Aaron Ramsey. Yeah. No, they're not. They're not. Uh, and, and I also should say that it's not as though it's not worth paying attention to on the one hand and on the other, I fully expect this to still be a vague unresolved question six weeks from now. I just, I'm not, I'm not interested in spending a ton of time interrogating the evidence now when I think the situation is going to remain the same, likely with more on the table six weeks from now. Yeah. Oh, well, we'll see. It's going to be, going to be interesting. Silly season in January. Whoop, whoop. Yeah, yeah. It's your, it's your, it's your post-Christmas Christmas, isn't it, Seb? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Arsenal, they will take on Watford. Watford lost on penalties in the Carabao Cup against Spurs after playing 2-2 during in a normal time. Then lost a penalty shootout. 4-2. So, Watford... You know, they can hold their heads sort of high. I think Spurs filled it a very strong side as well. And um, it's going to be interesting here. How do you think Arsenal will fare against Watford? I mean, it's hard to say. They're surging. uh, But maybe this is my intrinsic Arsenal pessimism. So I should qualify it with that. But on the face of it, Arsenal are surging as well. You know, like six wins on the trot. What do you want? Yep. No, that's true. Um, you know, we but... don't be too, too much of a Debbie Downers here. We already had that with Manchester United. So we got to stay positive a little bit. Yeah, but I... I... I still, even though my prediction of we will never keep a clean sheet all season was foiled last weekend, to my personal satisfaction, even though my professional shame, I, we're not going to keep Watford out. Uh, we've got to score more goals than they do. I think we will score mo- more goals than they will. I think that we'll win 2-1, maybe 3-1 if... We can link up play, and Lacazette can keep firing beautiful strikes off the post. Yep, that game is at 10 a.m. on Saturday on NBC Sports Gold. I hate that service. Sorry, we talked enough about paywalls. Let's move on. Yes, yes, we have. The late game on Saturday, that's a rematch between Chelsea and Liverpool. They met in the Carabao Cup on Wednesday. Chelsea took a 2-1 win. Coming back from being 1-0 down, Daniel Sturridge gave Liverpool the lead in the 58th minute. Emerson tied things up in the 79th, and then in the 85th minute, good old Eden Hazard scored the winner. He's pretty good. Yeah, he's all right. He's all right. (laughs) Yeah. No, I mean, this is one of those players who I think eventually will 
go to Real Madrid or Barcelona, most likely Real Madrid, and become the new Galactico. Be sort of the do they really have an heir apparent right now for Ronaldo in Real Madrid or at Real Madrid? I should say. I don't follow them that closely. They're uh, I I have footballing respect and also personal respect for their fans, but I make a point of not following heirs to fascist regimes. Mm. So. Sorry, Franco. Yeah, I that's like kind, Real Madrid. kind of far back in time right now. It's not that far back. It's like a century ago. Mm. Hey, like Catholic priests have been able to marry since the 11th century, and we still think of that as forever, but it's not forever. It's only a thousand years. I mean, really, if you look at it right now, yes, you got Luka Modric, who was voted best player in the world. Uh, you got Gareth Bale. But as far as that goal-scoring machine superstar, maybe Hazard can be that guy. Maybe. We'll see. We'll see. But he gave the win for Chelsea. Now they're going to play at home against Liverpool. And... Um, I mean, this is going to be a tough game. It's going to be a tough game for Liverpool. The only team who's uh, perfect so far. Six wins in a row. I think it will come to an end. Do you? Yes. And by that, I'm going to say it's a draw. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Although it would be quite the statement if Chelsea could beat Liverpool two games in a row, especially one that counts more than the other. Mm, yeah, I... I don't see that happening. I think Liverpool win. Hmm. Well, I mean, the, that is some must-watch. After you see United lose and Arsenal draw, you can watch <laughs> Chelsea-Liverpool. You're not going to react? I told Arsenal was going to get a draw? No? No. no? I, I, I already told you that I don't expect us to keep a single clean sheet all the season. So. Okay. Uh, Sunday, Cardiff against Burnley. That's on NBC SN. And then Monday, Bournemouth against Crystal Palace. So, uh, we'll see if Cardiff can get anything out of their game against Burnley. You took a a nice win last weekend. I don't know. Burnley. They got to get things moving here quickly. Yeah. I feel bad after their last season performance that was so strong, but it's just... It's, it, you know, we're, we're getting to the sample size of like, okay, well, it's still early... But it's not that early. It's not that early that you can be super confident about still being only two points above the drop. No. No, that's very true. This is a very important game as Cardiff still without a win. Burnley only have one win in six games. Uh, Four points to Cardiff's two points. You know, if we just take a quick second here for Newcastle, Cardiff, and Huddersfield still without a win. How far do you think this could go? How many games in do you think we could actually reach before 
at least all three of these teams has a win each. It's, I, it's hard to say, Seb. I, I think that the parity in the Premier League is such that even the bottom of the table teams, you have to expect, can shock anyone in any given week. And I think that I, I wouldn't, and especially, you know, we were just talking about, right, how Burnley have struggled. Cardiff are playing at home in Wales. I wouldn't be surprised to see Cardiff get a win this weekend. Uh, Newcastle hosts Leicester. Mm, harder for me to see them winning there, but, like, they're a storied club. They've got a little more money. You know, St. James Park is often a hard place to play. I don't see Huddersfield beating Tottenham, much okay. as I would love to. Uh, I, but but again, you know, they're they're a team that have been in the Premier League for a couple of years now. So any given weekend, realistically, I bet that we have a winless team for at least one, if not two, more weeks. But I don't I don't see us hitting match day 10 with a winless Premier League football club. Mm. And that's been, it's partially just based on my faith in the quality of all these sides. Not to say that I don't think that all three of them are candidates for relegation. Okay, of well, let, they are. let's but, do this. Let's bet a beer. I'll say that match day 10, going into match day 10, is that okay? So yeah. nine games played. We'll have at least one team without a win. So we've got. Two or does it have to be? Or, or, or does it have to be after match day ten? No, I'll 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 take up until match day ten. Okay, so heading into match day ten, we're gonna have at least one team without a win. Ooh, actually, no, no, sorry, oh. can't do that. Okay, because Huddersfield have. Uh, Tottenham, and then ah uh, no yeah they they might be able they might be able to beat Burnley fuck it yeah sure I'll take it okay cool 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 we'll we'll round things off here with some uh, England related news Garrett Southgate is uh, apparently negotiating for a new contract which could extend to include the uh, 2022 World Cup in Qatar. Right now, it is set to expire in 2020. So, um, do you think it would be a good good thing to renew his contract already? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You have faith in Gareth Southgate, huh? I mean, yes and no, but... We speak so much about, and in fact, we have earlier on the show, like the both the empirical results that you can produce on the one hand and the character of a manager on the other. And as far as the latter goes, I mean, you know, I think back to three lines on the shirt, 98, Gareth Southgate, the whole of England is with you. And... It, yeah, he's even though there, some people say you gotta wear the sport coat, man. Don't just wear the vest. <laughs> but I kind of love that he just wears the vest. Yep. But he's he's a man who commands respect from the players and the fans. Uh, he doesn't make himself the center of the attention. He wasn't 
you know, he wasn't decrying the media in a self-righteous way in the build-up to the World Cup, saying, look, we've got a really talented squad. He did it in a very politic way, saying, I'm building up the players. Look, we've got a really talented squad. And then the results, you, you, you have to respect the results. You know, oh, they absolutely. went far into the World yes. Cup. I mean, I think that this is this is a contract extension that makes a ton of sense. Yeah. And you know, the proof will be in the two-year putting at the Euros. No, it's true. And I don't think that he's reached his peak as far as his managerial career is going as well. He's you know relatively young at 48. Oh, absolutely. And I think that it will be interesting also to see, regardless, the thing is that England have to do phenomenally well at the Euros for him to keep his job. And by phenomenally well, I mean reach at least at least the round of 16 or quarterfinals, uh, probably the semifinals, yeah. I would say. I mean, I think that if they crash out in the round of 16, his job is going to be the, the subject of stories at, for example, the Daily Mail. Well, it all depends if they go out against France on penalties or something oh, like yeah. that, you know. Yeah. No, that I mean, that's a good point. But I think that if he were to crash out, he still is a pretty good hire for a lot of Premier League clubs. And if he doesn't, if he goes as far as the semifinals or further, then we could see Garrett Southgate in charge of England through two World Cups and two European Championship rotations. And I say that not merely because I have just spoken about, you know, his success as a manager and his aplomb in dealing with the media and being kind of politic. And as far as we can understand, not being in the locker room, a leader of men, but also the youth of the squad that he has at his disposal. Yeah. You know, I mean, like, very realistically, they could run deep into several different tournaments, even if they were locked into the team that they brought to the World Cup this summer. No, very true. They got a good core of players, and it's just the old, you know, keep expectations down. England, we know you can sort of get carried away sometimes let's just although it's though it's that's the thing that's the thing though is it's a weird paradox of like english football supporters are self-deprecating and then like shoot for the moon by turns (laughs) it's like oh we're terrible we're garbage we can't do anything oh my god it's coming home it's coming home yep mate it's coming home yeah, that's true. Speaking of the English national team, the uh, home of the English national team has been Wembley Stadium, and the uh, FA board has unanimously backed the plan to sell it to Fulham owner Shahid Khan. So the proposed deal, which is worth £600 million in cash and £300 million in future revenue from the stadium's hospitality business, will now go to the FA's council meeting, uh, which is on October 11th. Um, pretty interesting in in the fact that FA says that, yeah, you know, this cash, we're going to put it into grassroots football, and I think that's a great idea. Yeah, definitely. That's well, and also, I mean, let's look at the development of Stadia in general. 
But the the new Wembley was the new Wembley not that long ago, and now it's just Wembley, and not that long from now it will be the old Wembley. So I, I think that this is, on the one hand, a praiseworthy forward-thinking decision by the Football Association. On the other hand, I think it's symptomatic of a perhaps less praiseworthy but, you know, entrenched culture of prioritizing capital and whatever is new. And so, I mean, yeah, it, make, it makes sense. Like, it, on the face of it, it's kind of shocking to see them sell it to a private owner, but I get $300 million in future revenue. By the end of that, uh, it's gonna, the stadium's going to be old hat. Yeah, no, it's good. And, you know, it gives them a little bit of flexibility, too. They'll still play games there, of course, but they could move a couple games to other stadiums around the country. Um, Mr. Khan, who uh, doesn't just own Fulham, he owns the Jacksonville Jaguars of the NFL, and he wants to base the team there. I don't really understand this. Um well, it's similar to, to Tottenham Stadium construction so far as they have a separate pitch that they're going to roll out for NFL football games. American football, hand egg. Yeah, but do you really need your own oh, stadium do. for that? Well, you you don't. I mean, how, you, how need much a, time, you need a separate pitch. How, yeah, yeah, but how much time will these Jaguars or Jaguars? Um, <laughs> I like Jaguars. Let's keep it with Jaguars. How, how, I mean, how much time will they actually spend in London, though? That's a question that will piss off a lot of Floridians. Floridians? Floridians? I think well, it's Floridians. Floridians, yep. Um, if it's more than a game a season, but, but, I mean, and this is the forward thinking from Khan's perspective, right, is that if it is one home game per season that increases the overall number of games played by the NFL, then the NFL is going to be all for it because they get to grow their brands and they're about money before integrity that's manifest. Yeah. And if the Jaguars set up that as a minimum with the stadium rights to themselves, then that makes it much easier for the NFL. And if the Jaguars also offer incentives for their fan base to go over to London, they're in a position that other teams say, and yeah, I'm, I'm prone to use the Green Bay Packers as an example just because I am admittedly from Wisconsin and they are my hometown team. They're owned by the citizens, so that would never happen. But like, not teams just like the Green Bay Packers, but let's choose their arch-rival Chicago, for example, like the Chicago Bears. Like, the these Bears. Are, the Bears. These are long-standing season ticket holders, and season tickets have been in the hands of families for generations, for the Packers, for the Bears, for numerous teams throughout the NFL, but the Jaguars are an expansion team, and they're also an expansion team that exists within the context of a retirement community. And so, therefore, they have a more transient population that are going to be attending games. They're going to have a population that has a greater amount of disposable income, and they're going to have a population that has a greater amount of free time to travel internationally. Therefore, for the Jacksonville Jaguars, it makes a lot more sense to make this move 
than it would for a team like, for example, not merely the Green Bay Packers or the Chicago Bears, but you know, a, a bevy of other teams, the Minnesota Vikings, the Kansas City Chiefs, like so on and so forth. Teams that are deeply rooted in the communities that they have existed in for years. Now, again, let's bring up Stan Kroenke once more. He's clearly willing to uproot a team. There's There is a previous connection between L.A. and St. Louis for the Rams. I'm not disputing that. But the fact that Jacksonville has existed as a franchise for 20 years, which is not insignificant, but is nothing like the century that other teams have existed in the United States playing American football means that that fan base will have less of an outcry. So it it, it makes sense from his perspective from a lot of different vantage points. Hmm. Maybe put the whole preseason there. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, well, not that. Well, I mean, they could. You have a ton of, well, because you got to pay more airfare because you have a larger squad in preseason because you call players before the final 54 hours. Ah, put them on a boat. It's okay. Yeah, then they'll make it to London by the time <laughs> the game's been over for four days. Yeah. Um, yeah, Mr. Collins said in a statement that today's development has no effect on my plans to renovate Craven Cottage and as such has no impact on Craven Cottage continuing to be the permanent home of Fulham Football Club. So, Fulham not moving to Wembley. Which yeah, I'm okay with. Yeah, no, Craven Cottage is amazing. They should, I would, I mean, it's I won't say that I, uh, what's, quaint, uh, quaint has a little bit of like, it's cute, paternal, yeah, no, cute also has paternalistic pejorative built into it. It, it is a beautiful and uh, intimate stadium, let's call it that. Cozy. It's not cute and cozy, it's, yeah, it's cute and cozy, uh, that's what it is. Unique and intimate. It's cute and cozy. Okay. Shut up, you and your theater of dreams. Yeah. With that, we'll say goodbye for this time. As always, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm Seb Norin. Elliot is Keats was better. Give one yank one sweet a follow as well. And we'll talk to you again after the weekend. Until then, enjoy the games and have a good one. Bye bye.